So let's hop into Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. And Nehemiah was written, um, well, yeah, it was written around uh, 444 BC. Um, at that time, there was a big superpower that uh, was in control of the known world, a superpower called Persia. They conquered uh, Babylon, who conquered Jerusalem, completely ransacked uh, the city of Jerusalem, uh, destroyed it beyond um, repair. Houses were uh, broken down, walls were ruined. Took, uh, they took young men away to Babylonia to raise them up to serve in their country. And then on top of it, the temple was completely destroyed. The place where God would meet with his people were completely, was completely gone, um, just left in ruins. And as the book of Nehemiah opens up, we were introduced to a man named Nehemiah, and he is in Persia. And there's a map uh, up on the screen. He's in Persia. If you look at the right side of the screen, he is uh, over there in Persia in the capital city of Susa. And uh, the words beyond the river was a province that Persia had called, uh, formerly known as Israel. And so Israel's over there, 800 miles away in the province known as Beyond the River. And we see in Nehemiah chapter 1, we talked about this last week, that Nehemiah asks his brother, uh, tell me about the city of Jerusalem. What happened in the city of Jerusalem? How, how is it for people? And he hears about the city, that there was great trouble, that there was evil everywhere, that uh, people were just walking around in shame. There was so much brokenness. And it says that Nehemiah, when he heard this report, he was disturbed. He was distraught. He was moved. Not moved to despair like there's nothing that can happen, but moved to desperation. And he started to pray. And we looked at his prayer a little bit. And he prayed for three to four months, people say. Say He prayed, he worshiped God, he repented, he acknowledged the promises of God that if they would return, the people would return, that God would bring them back. And he said, here I am, I'm, I'm completely surrendering to you. And I asked this question last week, and I want this question to continue to uh, roll around in our souls, in our spirit. And it's this question, when was the last time that you wept over the condition of our city or the condition of our world? When was the last time that you saw the brokenness and you yourself were broken? You were so moved that you had to do something about it. You and I know there's a difference between seeing something and being moved to action. We know that story that, that Jesus shares, the parable that Jesus shares about the Good Samaritan. Many people passed by the person who was in trouble. They saw, but they weren't moved to do anything. Whereas the Good Samaritan came by and it said he was moved with compassion and he actually helped the man. There's a difference between just seeing and being moved into action. When was the last time that you were moved deep in your spirit to do something by the brokenness in our world? I know for myself, I can just quickly complain about what's going on in the world, but am I truly moved to do something about it? I have to confess there was a situation that happened this week that for me that demonstrates the difference between moving and seeing. And you're probably going to think I'm a horrible person, and that's totally fine. I'm just going to confess exactly what happened as I was sitting on the front porch this week. It's usually the office. It's usually where I do some things and send some email. And in the middle of the rainstorm, it was, it was, a, it was a pretty decent rain, there was a gentleman walking by my front house. Walking by, he had a fluorescent vest on, and he was pushing something. He was pushing a stroller, 
stroller had a blanket over top of it. I saw him, saw him walking with a blanket over the stroller with I saw a little hand coming outside of the stroller. He was walking, I'm assuming, his child in the middle of a rainstorm. I, sitting in my front porch, looking at him, thought, oh, I see this man walking. Did I do anything about it? No. I confess that I was a horrible person at that moment in time. I should have opened up the door and said, hey, come on in. Stay where it's dry. Let this storm pass. But to me, as I thought about Nehemiah chapter 1, and I thought about Nehemiah, how he was so moved, he not only saw something, he was moved into action. This is the type of thing that we're talking about, is not just seeing and watching brokenness go by, watching somebody who is in a, a, a tough situation go by, but not just seeing, but being moved to action. When was the last time we were were moved to doing something. What moves you? We'll talk about this in a couple weeks, but what moves you? What disturbs you? I know from my past and from interacting with people, the things that disturb us as we look at our culture, the misery that we might see, that just may be the ministry that God wants you to step into. And so often we pass by like, oh, I have these feelings. I just kind of push them aside. But I want you, as the Lord bubbles things up, I want you to pay attention to that. If you have a heart for the orphan, if you have a heart for homeless, if you have a heart for men who, have, who don't have fathers, if you have a heart for like you know, government, like the brokenness in our government, I would encourage you to press into that and pay attention to that. It could very well be God getting your attention and moving you to do something. But I don't want us just to be a people who see, like I did this week. I want us to be a people who are moved. And we see that Nehemiah was moved. But often, when we get moved, when there's something stirring in our guts, the question that I've had and others have had is, what do I do with that? What do I, what do, I do? What's my next step? I think we see some answers to that question in Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's read a couple Uh, We're going to read the whole chapter eventually, but let's just work our way through it. I'm going to start at the end of Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah 1, the last verse, Nehemiah says this, Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah was afraid. Why? Because he was interacting with a king, first and foremost, who was not a good man. Artaxerxes killed his brother to get on the throne, and many people were trying to take out King Artaxerxes, and he would have them killed. Plus, on top of that, if you were sad in the king's presence, you could end up dead. You were not supposed to bring a burden to the king. You were supposed to be a burden lifter. Like You're supposed to be filled with joy in the king's presence, especially if his queen was there, if his wife was there. And here, Nehemiah was sad. He was sad in the king's presence, but also much afraid because he knew what he was about to ask King Artaxerxes for. But before we get to that, I want to stop at that one line. And Mallory, why don't you put it up at the end of chapter 1. Nehemiah says this, Now I was a cupbearer to the king. This was um, not a glamorous job. It was kind of it was a prestigious role. You got to interact with the king. This person had to be trustworthy. This person had to be high, have a high character. 
But the job of the cupbearer was to simply drink the wine before the king drank it. And if you lived, then the king would drink the wine. It was simple as that. You actually did a good job on your job if you died because, all right, you protected the king from dying. Now, this was Nehemiah's role. It wasn't the best role. He was working for the government. He was working for a a horrible man. But he said, I was a cupbearer to the king. It was a slave, is what Nehemiah was, working for an evil government. Now, Nehemiah could have said, what hope is there? I'm just a cupbearer to the king. I have this burden, but I can't do anything about it. I'm just a cupbearer. I'm just a slave. I, can't, I have no power. I'm moved, but there's nothing that I can do. I wonder, for some of us in this room, have we ever said, you know what, I'm just uh, fill in the blank. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just working in a factory. I'm just working in a business. I'm just whatever. I'm just a, a student. I'm just a teenager. I'm just, I'm just a kid. This morning, I want to remind us of our identity because I believe it starts there. You are not just a just. You are more than that. You're not just a, a mom, stay-at-home mom. You're not just somebody working in a factory. You're not just that. Let me remind you of who you are that we see all the way through Scripture. First and foremost, Psalm 139, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. When you were inside of your mother's womb, God was there organizing every little ligament and and organ and putting it together and giving you the personality that you have right now. He wired you together on purpose for a purpose. That when he was intricately, intricately involved in your creation, breathing his life into you. Now, sure, we were born into sin, separated from God, but let me remind you of 1 Corinthians 6, that you were washed, that you were made holy, that you were bought with the blood of Jesus, that you're precious in His sight. And because of that, if you put your faith in Jesus, Philippians 3 says, you are a citizen of heaven. You are His child. I love what 1 Peter 2 says. This is who we are through the blood of Jesus, that you are not just a cup holder, a cupbearer. No, you are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're belonging to the Father so that you can proclaim the excellencies of the one who saved you. You're an ambassador for Jesus. And if that's not enough, Ephesians 2 says you are a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, filled with his spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And then I love this, Acts 17 says that he knew exactly when he wanted you to live on earth and he knew exactly where he would want you to live so that you can tell others about him. You are not just a just. You are a child of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus. You're empowered by his spirit and you are sent to the very location that you have been sent to to be his hands and feet in that area. See, so often we can hang our heads and we can go, oh, I'm just whatever, fill in the blank. And we can think less of ourselves. We can compare ourselves to people in scripture. We can compare ourselves to to other people that we see. And when we do that, we fall short. But nowhere in scripture is that true. Look at James 5. I love this passage. It says, Elijah, the one who is so powerful, Elijah, James goes on to say, was a man just like us. Just like us. But he prayed. First Peter 2, or 2 Peter 1, it says um, that Peter says, you have been brought into the salvation, equal standing, just like us. We're just like Peter. 
Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. See, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. That's what he did, but it wasn't who he was. I believe he saw himself differently, that he had been placed there by sovereign God to be his hands and feet to say, okay, I see the brokenness, and now I have a front row to talk to the king. I have a position with the king. I can speak, and this is what I'm going to do. And sure, he was freaked out by it as he shares this request, and this is what he requests. Starting in verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. That's a good opening line. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, which reminds me that we always have to pray continually. In each and every situation, just pray. Under his breath, he probably just prayed, all right, God, I need, I need wisdom, I need strength, I need you to give me the words. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let the letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may, pat, they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. I'm going to get to the next line in just a little bit. But here's what he's asking for. Here's his request. Do you realize like what he's saying here and what he's asking this king who actually conquered the nation that conquered Jerusalem? He's like, I want to go back and rebuild the city that was destroyed. I want to go back and undo everything that was done. Everything that you did and the people before you did. And actually, I want you to pay for the whole thing. I want you to give me lumber. I want you to give me all the supplies necessary to rebuild the city. I want you to give me a house. I want you to give me soldiers. I want you to give me men to go with me. And I want a 12-year paid vacation to go do it. It took Nehemiah 12 years. He's like, I want to be gone for 12 years, and you're going to pay me to do this, and you're going to supply everything that I ask for. I mean, that is a big request. That takes some courage. That takes other words that you can use to describe it. Like, that takes so much boldness. And what was the response? And the king granted me what I asked. Why? For the good hand of my God was upon me. This took boldness. And the king responded to his request. But who really responded to his request? It was God. God who was king over the king. What a miracle. God moved in the heart of this king, Artaxerxes. And he's like, here you go. I'm going to give you everything that you want. But you only make this request. You only go before a king who's go, who, has a, who has a power to kill you if you've heard directly from God. That's why Nehemiah 1 is so important. He prayed for, for months, but he was so moved by God. Out of that prayer came action, and he knew this is exactly what God wanted him to do. And so he stood before the king with so much boldness. The thing that I look about with, when it comes with prayer, I, we love to pray. Prayer is going to be such a central part of us as a people, but prayer must always lead to action. It was out of that prayer where Nehemiah was pouring out his heart before God that he gave direction and said, this is what I want you to do. And so 
Nehemiah was able to stand boldly in front of the king and make a bold request. Nehemiah was filled with fear. I love that scripture includes that. He was afraid. You want to know what? As a follower of Jesus, we are not called to play it safe. We are not called to live in safety. God will put us in some dangerous positions. I'm all for praying for safety. I want all of us to be safe. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what does God want in our lives and through our lives? God wants to be glorified. And there will be times when we need to take a step, a huge step, take a risk and say, I know this is a bold request, but I'm being so compelled by God as I've spent time with him that this is what I need to do. If we never step out in boldness, if we never do the stuff that we see in Scripture, we'll never see the stuff that we see in Scripture. Let me explain that a little bit. I know deep inside of every heart here, we want to see the kingdom of God come. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see miracles. We want to see people healed and delivered. But if we never step out in boldness and take a risk and even say, hey, how can I pray for you? I want to pray for you. How can I do that? If we never take that bold risk, we will never see God come and move in a powerful way. Nehemiah took the risk. Nehemiah took the step. And all of a sudden, God moved in the heart of this evil king and he got everything plus that he asked for. Are you willing to step outside of your comfort zone? When you're moved by God, are you shrinking back in fear because of what will people think? Or that someone might say no or something bad might happen? Or are you stepping out in confident faith knowing that God, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that he will not leave us, he will not desert us, that he is with us, walking with us wherever we go? I have more that I was going to share, but I just, I'm going to stop there this morning. I just really want us to wrestle with that. Are we as a people just so moved by God, so convicted, so convicted of the gospel, so convicted that God wants to transform hearts, that God wants to bring people back into relationship with him? Are we so moved in our hearts that we're willing to look like fools to the world and step out in boldness, be empowered by the Spirit and not worried about what people think? Are we so compelled and so convicted that we don't care about our reputation, that we don't care about what people think, that when we say, you know what, can I pray for you? I know this might sound weird, but can I pray for you? Or are we so convicted and, say, and so moved and compelled by the Lord, His compassion and His grace, that when we see somebody who's not walking with the Lord, maybe in sin, maybe someone within our own body, we come up to them and we say, you know what, this is not the life for you. I see this. God wants so much more. And I know you might not like this. You might get mad at me, but I am so compelled by the Spirit and I want to move in boldness and faith to, to convict you of this. God is asking me to say this. Are we willing to walk in boldness, going up to people that we know don't have a relationship with Jesus and we know where their end is, that they will spend eternity in hell separated from Jesus? Do we not care about our own reputation to the point where we're willing to walk in boldness and to say, you know what? This is the gospel. This is the love that Jesus has for you. And there might even be someone in this room that you've never opened up your heart to Jesus fully. You might be in this space, and I know we're small, and that's fine. You might have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God 
And you're like, I, I love living this, this life. It's not the way that Jesus wants you to live. It's not Christianity. Christianity is fully surrendering to him. And I would lovingly warn you today to stop playing both sides of the fences and go all in on Jesus because there you're going to find life and life abundantly. At the end, if you keep reading in Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah ends, and we won't read the whole thing, but Nehemiah just says, we're your servants. We're here for you. We're here to build the wall. We're God's servants. That is our role. That is who God has called us to be. That is what he has invited us to. We want to see the glory of God on display. We're living not for ourselves, but for him. But that means that we have to walk in faith, walk with purpose, and walk with boldness and a willing to be uncomfortable. And I know this week when we stretch ourselves, when we're willing to be uncomfortable, when we stretch ourselves outside of that comfort zone, we will see God move. Are you willing to live that way? Or are you holding back in any way? I want you to close your eyes. And I want you just to ask the Lord, is there any area of your life where you're holding back? Is there any area of your life where you're walking in fear? That's something that I just keep hearing. Like Fear, anxiety. I'm just commanded to go right now in Jesus' name. Where are you holding back? What has God asked you to do? And Father, if there's any fear, anxiety, or worry um, here in our hearts, we know that the solution to that is your promise where you said that, do not fear, for I am with you. And so I ask that your presence would fill us right now. That's what I ask, Lord, that you would meet with us in just a powerful way, that your presence would fall in this space, that we would be convicted of maybe living half-heartedly for you, but also filled with courage because you're with us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill us with faith right now and that we walk boldly for your glory. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, Great Are You, Lord.